0: Well, if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 46. Genesis 46. And as we work through this passage, I think you're going to see that God's promises are certain, comforting the believer. God's promises are certain, comforting the believer. And so... Um, As Jacob is getting ready to do something that is challenging, that is difficult, God's going to come to him and he's going to assure him that he is present, that he will continue to care for him, that he will fulfill some promises to Jacob as Jacob journeys into Egypt. And as a result, Jacob need not fear. And so... God is seen as faithful, and because God is faithful, Jacob does not need to fear the future. The future is certain, it is in God's control, it is under God's sovereign plan, and because of that, Jacob is instructed, do not fear. If you would take your Bibles and let's read the text. Genesis chapter 46, verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. So he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt for I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt and I will also surely bring you up again and Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and he and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones, their wives, and the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry them. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Now these were the names of the children of Israel, Jacob and his sons, who went to Egypt. Reuben was Jacob's firstborn. The sons of Reuben were Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. The sons of Simeon were Shaul, the son of a Can- Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The sons of Judah were Ur, Onan, Shelah, Perez, Zerah. But Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of Issachar were Tula, Puva, Job, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun were Sh- Sered, Elon, and Jalil. These were the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Padanaram, with his daughter Dinah. All the persons and his, his sons and his daughters were thirty three. The sons of Gad were Ziphion, Haggai, Shuni, Esbon, Ari, Erodi, and Areli. The sons of Asher were Jemnah, Eshua, Isui, Bariah, and Sirah, their sister, and the sons of Bariah were Heber and Malkiel. These were the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter. And these she bore to Jacob, sixteen persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, were Joseph and Benjamin. And to Joseph, in the land of Egypt, were born Manasseh and Ephraim from Asenath. And daughter of Potipharah, priest of An, bore to him. The sons of Benjamin were Bela, Beker, Ashbel, Gira, Naaman, Ehai, Rosh, Mappim, Hupim, and Ard. These were the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob, 14 persons in all. The sons of Dan were Hushim. The sons of Naphtali were Jaziel. Guni, Jezer, and Shilim. These are the sons of Bilhah whom Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter. And she bore these to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came came from his body besides Jacob's sons' wives, were sixty-six persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were seventy then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. So Joseph made ready his chariots and went up to Goshen to meet his father, Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I have seen your face because you, have, you are still alive. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock. And they have brought their flocks, their herds, and all that they have. So shall be, when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? That you shall say, Your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now. Both we and also our fathers... That you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. CHAPTER forty seven. Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers, their lives, their flocks and their herds and all that they possess, has come from the land of Canaan. Indeed, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers, and And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to dwell in the land, because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent man among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. Then Joseph brought to in his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my father and the days of their pilgrimages. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession of the land of Egypt and the best of the land in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father, his brother, and all his household with bread, according to the number in their families. Now there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe. So the land of Egypt was the le- And the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt. And in the land of Canaan, for the grain which they brought, and Joseph brought the money into the Pharaoh's house. So the money failed in the land of Egypt. And in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. Then Joseph said, Give your livestock, and I will give you bread for your livestock, if the money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph. And Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle of the herds, and for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. When that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herds of livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes? Both we and our land buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's and as for the people. He moved them into the cities from one into the borders of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had rotations allotted to them, or rations allotted to them by Pharaoh, which they ate, and and they ate their rations which Pharaoh had given them. Therefore, they did not sell their lands. Then Joseph said to the people, "Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh." Look, here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land, and it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and for your food, for those of your households, and as food for your little ones. So they said, You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth except for the land of the priests only which they did which did not become pharaoh's so israel dwelt in the land of egypt and the country of goshen and they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly and jacob lived in the land of egypt 17 years so the length of jacob's life was 147 years when the time drew near that israel must die he called his son joseph and said to him now if i found favor in your sight please Put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in your their burial place. And he said, I will do this as you have said. Then he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. Let's go to the Lord in a Word for Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the comfort that you provided Jacob with and the reminders of your past faithfulness and your past care and the fact that you will continue to care for him and you will continue to provide for him and that your plan for him has not ended we thank you that as a result he rejoiced in your faithfulness and he chose to live by faith and he did not fear as he followed your instructions we pray that we would be people that would do the same thing that as we reflect upon your faithfulness that we would rejoice in it and that we would be willing to follow you in obedience as you lead. In your name we pray. Amen. The passage begins, and as it begins, it talks about God's assurance and instruction for the believer. And the believer in this passage is Jacob. I mean, just imagine you're Jacob. You have thought for the past many, many years your son is dead. And then Sometimes Dale makes comments And I don't really know what he says And it makes me like Lose my train Yeah, he's going to sit in the back now Alright So he's he's, 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 um, His son has been You know, told to him that Your son's alive And you're supposed to go down and see your son And as he's getting ready To go down and see his son It appears as if he's in some way anxious. At the end of chapter 45, you look at that and it's like, he's excited about this whole idea. He's like, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go down and I'm going to see my son before I die. And as he begins to make this journey, he gets the edge of the Canaanite territory that God has promised to Abraham, that God has promised to Isaac, and that God has promised to him, this is going to be your land. This is where your destiny lies this is God's plan for you this land and it's almost like he gets to the edge of that land and he's like am I really supposed to leave this land this is is what God has promised this is God's plan this has been God's plan for hundreds of years now it was God's plan that he revealed to Abraham and Abraham left his home to pursue this plan and Isaac pursued this plan and I've pursued this plan and am I really doing the right thing and as he gets to this area look at verse 1 of chapter 46 so Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and he offers sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac why? He's worshiping, he's rejoicing in who his God is. It's not sacrifices because of some sin he's committed. It's worship. He's worshiping God. And as he worships God, God spoke to him in the vision of the night and says to him, Jacob, Jacob, and he says, here I am. And God comes and assures his servant that he will continue to care for him. He will continue to be faithful. He will continue to be his God. He will continue to graciously guide his servants and instruct his servant. And so he said, I am the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt. And I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand On your eyes. So God's reminding his servant of his past faithfulness. And he's promising to remain faithful. He says he is the same God. I am the same God that you have served. I'm the same God who's promised you this land. That hasn't changed. My plan has not changed. I am faithful. I am true to my word. And he promises him... And then he's going to accompany him as he goes down to Egypt and he also promises that he will return him to the land of Canaan what happens here is a reminder of God's past faithfulness and a promise that God will continue to be faithful That God's character God's person has not changed God is going to remain the same. He is consistent. And then what happens in the next section, I think it just goes to point out and to illustrate the fact that Jacob has already experienced God's goodness. The next many verses describe the goodness that Jacob has experienced. Not many of us expect that we're going to have 70 descendants after, you know, the second generation, right? Like some of us, you know, maybe we think we'll have four kids and our kids will have, you know, four kids and maybe we'll have 16. Very few of us think that we're going to have 12 kids and each one of those kids are going to have five kids and we're going to have 60, much less that we're going to have 70, right? There might be a few exceptions, but most of us don't think that two generations down from us There's going to be 70 people. And so you're beginning to see this fulfillment of the promise. You're going to be a nation. And you're going to have this land. And so it's like it's being reviewed like God's past faithfulness. And it's telling us who all is going down. The whole family is going down to Egypt. And God has made promises. He's going to be with them. He's going to go with them, he's going to care for them, and he's going to bring Jacob back. You know, the truth is that God's character, God's person has not changed from Genesis chapter 46. Now the promises that he's made to you are drastically different. You have not been promised a nation. America may go away. That doesn't mean God's not faithful. Iowa may not be a state forever. And that doesn't mean that God's not faithful. Because God hasn't made the promise that you're going to always have America. God made the promise that he's going to be with Israel and he's going to bless Israel. So there's always going to be Israel in some way. But not necessarily America. But God has made promises to you. You and I look forward to the day when... Jesus Christ returns, and when He returns, He comes to set up an eternal kingdom. And we, we yearn for the time when He comes and He sets up His millennium, and it, it's far better than America. And, and we yearn for that, and we look forward to that. And you may say, Well, it's been 2,000 years since that promise was made. Can we still trust God? And the answer is yes. God is faithful. He will fulfill his promises. And in response to God's faithfulness, the fact that God is a faithful God whose character does not change, are you and I living by faith? Are we pursuing obedience in response to this? Jacob is challenged with God's faithfulness. God points to him and says, I have been faithful and I will be faithful. I will continue to care for you. And so I want you to follow without fear. Live in obedience. Are you and I pursuing obedience and faithfulness to God's word? The text continues to move on and As the text moves on, I think it's really demonstrating that God fulfills the promises that he has made to Jacob. So if you go back to the very beginning of Genesis chapter 46, God tells Jacob, I am the God of your fathers. Do not fear, for I will make of you a great nation. And that's being pointed to by the fact that there are 70 descendants of him going down into the land. And they are going to continue to multiply and prosper as they enter into the land. I will go with you and I will bring you back. Right? They have a land and the land is going to belong to the nation. And so as we work our way through the rest of the text, I think it's really showing how God fulfills these promises in the short term. Now, We're not going to continue to go through and enter into Exodus. That's not the next series I have planned for Sunday nights. Um, We're going to go to a New Testament epistle. I'm still trying to decide exactly which one, but it's going to be a New Testament epistle. Um, But you could continue to follow that through and see in Exodus how God is faithful, and he brings the whole group back, right? But God fulfills his promises to his servants. It's interesting, Jacob and his family enter into Egypt, and they are strangers. And how do the Egyptians feel about shepherds? They hate them. They really dislike them. In fact, they don't even eat with them. And how is this band of 70 people who are looked at as a lower class and are despised by the Egyptians, how are they received? Does God prove that he is with him? Does God continue to care for him? Does God continue to provide for him? And the answer is yes. They enter into the land and Joseph goes to meet. Well, Jacob is sent to go meet Joseph. And Joseph comes and he meets his dad. And as they meet and they are united for the first time, Joseph and his father weep on each other's necks in verse 29. And he says, Israel says to Joseph, Now let me die since I have seen your face because you are still alive. And Joseph goes on from there and he says, I'm going to go and ensure that you are cared for, that you are provided for physically by Pharaoh. And so he he tells his brothers, this is how these people think of you. This is what I'm going to do. And when you stand before Pharaoh, this is what you're supposed to say. And so Joseph goes to Pharaoh and he tells him, my father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds and all that they possess have come. From the land of Canaan. Indeed, they're in the land of Goshen. And he took five of his brothers and he brought them in, and they asked, he asked them, What is your occupation? And they're like, We're shepherds, and that's what we've done for a long time. We're pretty experienced in this, we've got the basics, we know how not to kill sheep, right? Now we know how to kill sheep too but you know primarily we know how to make sure that they grow and they're nurtured and cared for. <clears throat> and Joseph, Pharaoh hears this and they ask him to live in the land of Goshen. And Pharaoh begins to talk to Joseph. He's probably talking in Egyptian so that uh, the brothers don't know what exactly is going on and he tells them, let them lay, live in the land of Goshen. And if you have competent men among them Put them in a royal position. God provides for their physical care through the land of Goshen. They are given the best of the land. And God provides for them by allowing them to have appointments into their royal family's service. And as you continue to work through and you look at the wealth that Israel builds, as they live in Egypt compared to everybody else in the nation you look at that and you have to say God has cared for them because at the end of this uh, he's gonna pretty soon move into the economic ramifications for the average Egyptian and the the economic implications for the average Egyptian are not the kind of taxes that you and I want with the next presidential cycle, right? We don't want to have to spend all our money the next year to buy food. The following money, give up our dogs and cats. And the following year, give up our houses. That's not our idea of uh, prospering. That's not really anybody's idea of really prospering. And that's what's going to happen to them. You can look at all those data and all these information that is given. It starts off in verse 13 and in verse 13 and through verse uh, 15, what's happening is the people come to Joseph and they're like, we don't have any food. Remember, they're, they're in the third year, at least of the famine by chapter 47, verse 13. And they come and they're like, we don't have any food. And he's like, well, give me your money. So they give all their money and their money fails. What does that mean? They run out of money. There's no more money to buy food. The next year they come back in verse 16 or verse 15 they come back and the money has failed and Joseph says, well if the money is all gone and this isn't Joseph being mean, okay? This is just how economy works, okay? If you don't, You have to give something to buy something, right? Joseph takes their livestock. And in exchange for their livestock, they are given bread and they're able to eat and live and survive another year. And the following year, they come back and the famine is still not over. And what happens? They come and they're like, we're not going to hide anything. This is verse 18. From my Lord, that our money is gone. My Lord also has our Herds of livestock, there is nothing left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. What does Joseph say? Well, sure, I will buy your lands. And as a result, when you're able once again to plant and to harvest 20% of what you have will belong to Pharaoh. And out of the leftover 80% you will eat, sell, make a profit, and you're going to buy the seed for the next harvest. This is the economic condition that the average Egyptian is living in. And after all that, what does the text tell us about the Israelites? Look at verse 27. So, Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt and the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. No wonder the Egyptians, in a few years, once Joseph dies and there's a new Pharaoh, and the average Egyptian is now living in squalor and doesn't own any personal land, because this becomes a pattern for Egypt, right? No wonder they look at the Israelites and they're like, we really want their stuff. We're going to make them our slaves. And so they make them their slaves. But God is caring for them. God is providing for his people. God's word, God's promises that he gives to Jacob and the early verses of Genesis chapter 46 are true. They're being fulfilled. God has been their god god has been with them god has brought them down and god will bring jacob back up and so in contrast to the average egyptian's position where they're really living now in squalor right when you're when you don't have any physical possessions and you're living back then when it wasn't you know you know there wasn't um as big of harvest as we have now, the economic condition of the average Egyptian is bad. It's not great. But in contrast, God is providing for, God is caring for Israel. Now the text earlier has told us that, what is Joseph doing? Joseph is the one who is providing grain for his family members, as their families require. They're not buying anything and their possessions are multiplying and they have an appointment in the royal house. The text moves on and it really shows us Joseph, or Jacob's faith and it shows us what Jacob is looking for, what Jacob is yearning for, what Jacob is placing his faith in God is with him God is caring for them their possessions are multiplying Jacob has lived another 17 years he is now 147 years and he begins to realize that it is it is approaching the time when I am going to die I'm not going to live forever and so he calls his son Joseph and he says to him now if I have found favor in your sight please Put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. What's happening? Jacob is remembering the promises God has made him. What's God told him? This is your family's land. Your family will be a nation. Your family will own this land. And so Abraham bought a burial ground. And that is where so many of the family has been buried. Why? Because they're hoping in, they're looking forward to the day when it'll be completely true. They own the land. Their nation is established in that country. That is what he's looking forward to. And so as Jacob approaches his death, what does he do? He's living by faith. He's saying, I believe in God's word. I believe that God is going to give me back this land and that my descendants will own this land, that we will have possession. I believe that God is faithful. And so Jacob or Joseph when I die don't leave me here this is like my last way to demonstrate my faith this is the way that I can show the world that I believe God's promises I believe that God has been faithful that God is faithful right now he's cared for us he's provided for us in the midst of what would have really been devastating circumstances and because of that Take me back to the land. Why? Because God is faithful. And as a result, I want to live in obedience. I want to demonstrate my obedience even by where I am laid to rest as my final resting place. It's an act of faith. He believes God's promises. And so he desires to return to the land that has been promised to his family and so how do you and I respond to these same truths? The passage is telling us about God's faithfulness. God has made promises and God ensures that they come to pass. And that is the same God that you and I serve. And so our response has to be to live by faith, to rejoice in God's faithfulness to rejoice in God's goodness he tells him I am the God of your fathers I will go down with you I will be with you and I will bring you up and as we work through the text that is what God does for his servant God fulfills his promises and we rejoice in that God How does Genesis 46 and 47 call us to respond as we work through this and think through this? The character of God means we cannot live in fear. You know, it's easy for you and I to become fearful as we go through the various trials of life, right? It's really easy. Something pops up and it's like, this is really overwhelming. Illustration. I got my sermon for tonight done last night. It was all written this afternoon. It's like I don't really have that much to do. I need to make a PowerPoint. But I can I can relax. I don't have to worry about this too much. So me and Bethany watched a movie, I fell asleep. I couldn't really tell you too much about the movie because of that. Anastasia woke up about when I fell asleep. Like, I'm gonna go take a nap. I went outside or went inside, took a nap. Uh, Bethany took Anastasia outside and came back inside. Anastasia starts screaming. I wake up. I'm a little grumpy because I didn't get my nap in like I thought, but I actually need to get up because we gotta like eat supper and I need to make a PowerPoint. Open up my computer to make my PowerPoint. Looking for my notes, looking for my notes from my notes my blood pressure is going up it's really going up and I'm even more grumpy I'm beginning to be fearful like I have literally 30 minutes before I have to be at church and I don't have a sermon and I still don't have a sermon I better start writing this again because I don't have a sermon what happens You lose sight of who God is and you begin to live in fear and you begin to live by the flesh, right? The character of God, though, is constant. Was God unfaithful at 5.15 when supper was in the oven and baking and I sat down to make my PowerPoint that should have taken about five minutes? No. No. But where did my focus go? And as my focus turns from the character of God, what happens? It's easy for me then to turn to fear, just like David did in 1 Samuel 27. And as he looks at the situation, he goes, woe is me. There's no way I can face this situation. I'm going to pursue my own understanding, and I'm going to run the gath. That's what we do. It is so easy for you. It is so easy for me. And yet the character of God remains constant. It remains the same. And because it remains the same, you and I can choose to walk by faith. Whether or not we choose to do so at 5.15 when we don't have a sermon or we're supposed to preach in 45 minutes is a whole other thing, right? But we can choose to walk by faith. And so we rejoice in God's faithfulness because His character has not changed. Even in the midst of that trial, his character is consistent. It is the same. He has not changed. My response to him has changed, but he has not changed. And so, as I meditate on God's character, as I meditate upon God's faithfulness and goodness, what do I choose to do? The only logical, obedient choice is to say, God is faithful. And because God is faithful, and I don't understand this, Traylon, I'd prefer to have my sermon right there and be able to make my PowerPoint in five minutes, enjoy my supper, you know, eat it in about 15 minutes because we were about that point anyways. I mean, we were already pushed your time, right? But what is my choice? The only option that is honoring to God at that point is to submit to Him and follow Him in obedience. Let's go to the Lord in the Word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you are a faithful God. We thank you for the fact that we can be reminded of these truths and that we can seek your forgiveness even when we fail to live in a way that is honoring and glorifying to you. We pray that as we meditate upon our own lives and our own areas where we have failed to meditate on and live in light of your faithfulness, that you would help us to to follow you and pursue you in obedience. In your name we pray. Amen.